Amen. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord and you can be seated. So God is so good and I really, I really think God has something special for every one of us today. Um, I didn't really know what to title this message. I had about 10 titles that crossed my mind and this is one of the three messages that, that God gave me last week that uh, it was a great week, I guess. It just kept coming. So, um, But I want to talk about being thirsty. And uh, before I talk too much about being thirsty, it has been brought to my attention by the younger crowd, namely my daughters, that to say someone's thirsty doesn't mean what it meant when I said someone was thirsty. So... So I'm talking about the appropriate thirsty or whatever today. Just just get that clear. But so, over the last several weeks, my wife and I have endeavored into this thing called the, the keto diet. Now, I have drifted from the extreme keto diet to the Atkins diet, which is like the wimpy keto diet. And I have even migrated from the wimpy Atkins diet to a moderate Atkins. Basically, I'm not on a diet. (laughs) But over the last few weeks, being in keto, if you guys know what that is, whatever, it's pretty amazing. Um, And I'm not saying for anyone to do the keto diet. Um, (laughs) Some people say it's not great that know about that stuff, but others say it, whatever. But let me tell you about this diet. You get to eat bacon all you want. Like, and if bacon is on a diet, sign me up. Okay, I'm in. You get to eat pepperonis and mayonnaise and beef jerky and pickles and just all manner of blessings from heaven it's great and so but when and I don't know that everybody's this way but when my body got into what's called ketosis and it started burning on fat or you know burning fat for energy and whatever I don't even know much about but my mouth would get burning up hot like constantly and I mean I cannot depart from a water bottle I have this water bottle that my sister-in-law got me for Christmas a year or two ago. And, man, I, I mean, that thing's become my best friend. I look like Cy on Duck Dynasty carrying around his tea jug all the time. You know, I can't stop being around the water. I'm constantly thirsty. This, this, it just made me thirsty. And I, I, looking back, I'm like, holy smokes, I know what it's like to be really thirsty. I mean, I can drink a gallon of water and be like, yeah, I need another gallon. It's crazy. So today I'm talking about being thirsty. And and I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Where do you get your water? And I know that sounds like, well, duh, the faucet or from a water bottle or, but no, we're deeper than that here. Okay, we're talking about spiritually. Where do you get your water? And here's why I want to ask you that question, okay? We're all thirsty. And there's a good thirst that God puts in us after his righteousness. And then there's, there's, a, there's a bad thirst of, of, of just our natural flesh that desires all these awesome 
things of life, you know, and, and it's not that the things are bad, but when our thirst for them becomes idolatrous or it becomes covetous, you know, when we desire, when we're thirsty for stuff more than we're thirsty for God, we fall into sin. And the craziest things can become idolatrous to us. Kids, we can get so thirsty around our kids and just be like, oh, I want my kids to be great people and do this and that and excel at this and excel at that. And We can be thirsty. We can become idolatrous about our husbands or our wives. We, you know, our family. You name it, guys. Your job. Ministries within the church. How, how we look in other people's eyes. There's a big one, you know, validation. We get so thirsty. If you wake up in the morning and immediately you're checking your Facebook or Instagram or SinSnap or whatever it is that you got because you're wanting to know who liked your stuff, you're probably thirsty for the wrong thing. Your validation needs to come from God, not people. You are great because God chose you, not because someone liked what you posted. See where we're going with this? There's a good thirst. But then there's, 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 there's maybe a thirst that's not so good. My aim today, or I think the Holy Spirit's aim for us today, today is to enhance the good thirst. Hunger and thirst after God, because those that hunger and thirst after His righteousness will be filled but I think God wants to correct the aim of our inappropriate thirsts that are never, ever, ever satisfied. In essence, let me ask it this way, where do you get your fix? Right, because that, that's, really that, that's really what the Holy Spirit's aiming at here. We either get our fix from stuff or we get our fix from God. What is it? Where do you get your fix? We all like daily, hourly are looking for the next fix, the next, you know, like, woo, that was awesome. Woo, I'm feeling good. Let's do, woo, you know what I mean? Or maybe not. <laughs> so in the Westminster Catechisms, which is just summaries of the Bible, and the catechisms are, 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 in, are in question form so that we can remember them. And, and the number one question in this, and what the Westminster Catechisms are, basically a summary of the doctrines of the Bible. Some of the biggest teachings of the Bible you know, that are from Genesis to Revelation. So all these theologians get together in the 1600s, and for four years they just pound it out. Whoa, what is, what is, what is the Bible saying, you know? And, and, and so they come up with these simple statements so that we can know, really it was for the people coming out of darkness. And, and, and out of darkness, by I mean, they didn't have any spiritual light. They didn't know what the Bible said because the Bible had been kept from them. So it was a way to kind of get the word in us real quick so the church could be brought up to light. So this is what the Westminster stuff is, and, 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 and so the very first thing is this question in, in, in the catechisms, and it says, what is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of my life? Ask that question yourself. And the Bible actually answers that question. This is one of the most mind-boggling questions in the human race. What's our purpose? Why are we here? That's basically what that question is asking. And you know what the Bible says? It, well, the way the Westminster Confession reads it, and this is really what the Bible's saying from Genesis to Revelation and some, the chief end of man 
is to glorify God, comma, and enjoy Him forever. <laughs> That's why we're here. To make God look glorious, and, and not just to make God look glorious, but not, and I think there's so much to this because the next part is what makes God glorious, and it, it's what brings you joy. To enjoy Him forever. We could stop. I, I, I don't know that there's anything else that even... We're not going to. I don't know if there's anything else that needs to be said. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Make Him look real good. And enjoy Him forever. Where do you get your fix? Anything other than that will fail you. Anything other than that is like trying to quench your thirst when you're on keto. It's in vain. Just keep it coming, boys, because we ain't going to stop drinking here. So I just want to show you where this starts, what happened, and how to fix it. In Genesis 2, 15 through 25, this is right after the six days of creation. On the seventh day, God rested. And then Genesis 2 kind of just goes back and, and summarizes Genesis 1. But the Lord God, he takes the man who he has formed and he put him into the Garden of Eden. Paradise. Who in here, by show of hands, likes to go on vacation? I think the reason people like to go on vacation is because we're looking for paradise. We're, we're, we don't even know it, but I think we're like searching for that restoration of Eden because it's kind of what it's like. You know? You just get to go and ah, enjoy and But God put him there to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man. He puts up some boundaries here to make man's life purposeful. These are to give us power. And listen to how God speaks this. Guys, you can eat of any tree of the garden that you want. I put them all there for you. Glorify me. Keep this place. Enjoy the fruit. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that tree. Because in the day you eat thereof, you will die. So the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever... Adam called all these creatures as they came by. That was its name. This shows you how smart Adam was. T-Rex walks by. He's like, T-Rex. Elephant walks by. He's like, Elephant. Bigfoot walked by. He's like, Bigfoot. That, that was a joke. <laughs> I don't think he walked by. Anyway. Okay. And so... The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds and the heavens and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and, and he slept and, and God takes out one of his ribs and closes up the flesh thereof and, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman. And he brought her unto the man and said, this is, now let me go too fast here because I want you to see the context of the setting of the Garden of Eden. 
when Adam wakes up from his deep sleep and sees his wife. He doesn't just say, ah, this is woman. No, he sings. He writes a poem and he sings it. At last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. There's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in paradise, enjoying themselves, singing and dancing and just having a good time. And look how the Lord leaves us here. The man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was no anxiety. There was no fear of, oh, do I look good enough for her? Do I look good enough for him? Or, you know, there was, even that just so silly. It wasn't there. They were completely naked and no shame because there was no sin. There was no frustration. There was no anxiety. They were there to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That was the trajectory that God put man on. That was God's intentions, if I may. I use the word loosely because he's sovereign over everything, but that was God's intentions with man. We were made to do good works and enjoy the presence of God forever. But do you live in this state? I know I don't. What the heck happened? This is not Eden. <laughs> I mean, in our hope in God, we have great joy, but does anybody ever look around and just like, what the? What broke this? I'll tell you what broke this. Someone got thirsty. Someone desired something more than God. And this, this, this has so much to say about the character of God. But in the very next chapter, a serpent comes up to Eve, who the Lord had made more subtle than any beast of the field. And he said, hey, Eve, did God really say that you can't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Did he really say that? Listen to this. Here was his intentions. What's God trying to hide from you? See, there's some green grass over here in the other field, and if you'll just go get it, you're going you're gonna to be like, why did God hide that from me? See, God just doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to keep you a little lower. He just knows that in the day you eat of that fruit, you'll be like him, and you will have the knowledge of good and evil. He tempted her, and she got thirsty. For this false idol, this lie that Satan had set up. And so she ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 3, 6 says it this way. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and gave to her husband with her and he ate. And suddenly the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and that enjoyable almost 
and I, I, I'm using this word wrongly, but almost naive, childlike state that they were in. Gone. And now frustration. And now anxiety. And now stress. And now depression. And now failures. And now sin. And now guilt and despair and shame. Because somebody tried to quench their thirst with something other than God. Our mom and dad, Adam and Eve, they got their water from the wrong well. Real quick, I want to define for us, and we learned this a couple weeks ago, what idolatry is. Because that's exactly what sent the human race into a tailspin. Idolatry is desiring anything in this world, anything over God. Or being thirsty for something over our thirst for God. Idolatry is the terminator of your joy. So the entire rest of the Bible, y'all, from Genesis 3 forward, is written to us to restore Eden. To restore to us in full this paradise to live in with God in his physical presence every single second of time for the rest of our life glorifying him sharing actually in his glory and enjoying him forever when you read Genesis 4 to Revelation 22 if you take the narrative as a whole that's what it's about So the key question is, all right, how do we get that back? How do we get that back? How do we get back to this this plane of joy and this plane of living in Christ? That's the key question. But before we go there, I want to slide in two quick motives of why I think it is so important that we know why God created us. Why I think for us it's important that we know we were created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Um, And number one is this for personal satisfaction in our life now. Or another way of saying that is so that our thirst in the flesh doesn't make us do stupid stuff, right? Like like eating from the fruit that God said, don't eat of that. All right, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. I want to compare two men in the Bible to you here real quick. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. (coughs) As Jesus was sitting out (coughs) on his journey, a man went up, and knelt before him, looking real submissive here, looking real religious. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, you look great. And I think I want to follow you. But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There is none good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud. Honor your mom and dad. Dang it, that always happens on first Sunday. 
love him. Or, 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 and he said to them, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, You just lack one thing. You need to be more thirsty for me than you are for your stuff. See, it's not bad to have stuff. A lot of times Christianity has, you know, made people feel bad if they're doing good. <laughs> no, Solomon was the richest dude ever. Favorite of God. Did some stupid stuff, got thirsty for some hot women, but, well, you know, <laughs> comes back around. But Jesus said, look, one thing you lack you like your success a little bit more than you like me. Will you give it up for me? And here's what I want you to see out of this. Look at, look at the tone of the scripture here. What's Jesus want us to walk away from reading this feeling? I think a little sad. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He said, you lack one thing, man. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And here it goes. Disheartened. Disheartened. By the saying, the man goes away sorrowful. Because the cost was too high for him because he was drinking from the wrong well. He had been deceived by the riches of this world. He was not like Moses who had a heart after God, who said, I will choose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather <clears throat> than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So this guy's sad. But a very similar comparison. I love this guy. His name is Zacchaeus. He was short like me. Then he loved God. But he didn't start there. He started as a chief tax collector. Lying, stealing, cheating, ripping people off his own kindred Luke 19 1 he entered Jericho this is Jesus and was passing through and behold there was a man named Zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and he was rich it's interesting Jesus never asked Zacchaeus to sell all this stuff and give it to the poor So he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the count of the crowd, he couldn't because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead, he positioned himself, and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm going to stay at your house today. I must. I'm going to hang out with you. I see your zeal for me. I see your thirst 
for me. You climbed a tree just to see me. You inconvenienced yourself, made a spectacle of yourself to see me. I must visit you. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus Christ. Look, look, look at the tone of this, this text. Joyfully. I got Jesus. I don't need anything else. That's, that, that was Zacchaeus. His thirst just got quenched. And when they saw it, all the crowd, the religious people, that Zacchaeus, this chief sinner, received Jesus joyfully, they grumbled. Has he gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner? Do you mean Jesus hangs out with those kind of people? Yes. Because they're thirsty. They just don't know what they're thirsty for. And Zacchaeus, in the overflow of the river of riving waters flowing from his heart, he stood and said, I see the treasure in Christ. Behold, the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field and he went and sold everything he had to possess the field because the treasure was in it. Lord, I give away all of it. I bestow the half, I sell the half of my goods. I give to the poor. And if I've done anyone, defrauded them anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, today, today, salvation joy has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Abraham, for the son of man did not come. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus began to drink from the right well. It's interesting in John 10, 10. Jesus says, guys, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. We've been deceived and we think holding on to all this stuff and doing this and doing that and achieving this and next step, next step, next step, rung in the ladder, right? And it's gonna bring us joy, but it doesn't. It's the wrong well. You'll stay thirsty. It's like the keto diet. When we drink from the living waters. So, number one, for personal satisfaction in life. Now, to live abundant life, it's important that we know God made you to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. When I, when I, when I get to chasing after this, chasing after that. When I stop and think about that, wait a minute, God made me to enjoy him. And, and, and when I just start thinking about God, I just get, you know, you, just, you feel his joy in you. So number two, why is it important to know that God made us to glorify him and enjoy him forever? To show God 
as very enjoyable and appealing so that we will desire, so that others will desire to experience the number one motive, so that others will desire to experience and love God more than anything else in the world. Let me show you what text I'm, I'm, I'm basing that off of. Matthew 5, 13, Jesus said, Y'all, I redeemed you and left you here for a reason. To be a light in a dark place. You're going to be around sin. I'm going to put you in uncomfortable situations. Be the salt. Make a difference. See, we want to, as believers influence the unregenerate or influence the unsaved but not learn from them you be the leader God has called you to lead he said guys you you you're the salt of the world but if the salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet y'all guys are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all those that are in the house in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? Why, Jesus? Why do you want me to be salty? Why do you want me to be the light? So that, I love those words in the Bible. I almost circle them every time I'm reading a passage of Scripture. So that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Make Jesus look more desirable than anything. And you're only going to be able to sincerely do that, not in a worked up religious way, but in a real true man, God is worth it to me. You're only going to be able to do that when you truly enjoy Him. When you're after Him and not the benefits of Him. When you want to go to heaven to be in the presence of God, not to walk on streets of gold. Let those be a benefit of being in the presence of God. Don't use God as a means to an end use all these means to the end of God love him enjoy him that's why you were made that's where you'll be happy that's where your thirst will be quenched this is quenched this is why God made Israel this is why God chose Israel y'all in the Old Testament they were to be the light of the glory of God to the world but you know what they did they got snobby (laughs) they got religious and they started looking down at people because they didn't have the law of God because they didn't keep the commandments of God. So they looked down at them. And they were stuck up and religious and they thought they were lesser than rather than saying, God is glorious and let me show you who he is. That's why God chose Israel. To be the salt, to be the light of the earth. That's why you and I are the children of Abraham. We are descendants of Israel to do that Interesting, John 3, 16. Everybody knows that verse, most people. But do you know what John 3, 17 says? For God did not send Jesus Christ, his son, into the world to condemn it, but that through him the world might be saved. Show them who Jesus is. When we desire success over God, we're not giving the world anything to hope in. When we desire Facebook likes over God, and we start compromising our values to look cool, to tell the cool joke, to be funny in the crowd or whatever. Okay.
Okay, so as we start to lay on this plane. Has anyone in here ever been to Mexico? Huh? That's pretty cool. I can't remember if it was my aunt or uncle. Either one. We'll just say it was my aunt. It was probably my uncle. I don't know. I was little. But one time my aunt and uncle went to Mexico. And when you're in Mexico, what do you not do? (laughs) That's a bad whale. It's not a good idea. So when you go to Mexico, you don't drink the water because it makes you deathly ill. I mean, people have died drinking the water in Mexico. That's not good. And so I think they did a pretty good job. And either one of them that it was, I think their vacation was getting close to wrapping up. And so they thought, well, I'll just, just have a little water. It won't hurt. Just, just a little water. I'll just dabble in this well a little bit. I'll just brush my teeth and spit it out. Surely I'll be okay if I just dibble-dabble in it, right? So whichever one it was, brushes their teeth and they get like violent diarrhea (laughs) so come on and they get violently sick and I think they nearly lost their lives but just from that maybe wasn't a good story but I thought it would make sense with drinking from the wrong wrong well (laughs) do with it whatever you want but you don't want to do that that's a bad idea and the point of it is this, guys. What, what well are you drinking from? Seriously. Because sometimes even just a little bit can make you deathly sick. So I want to share this story with you, and then we're going to wrap this up. John 4. This is a tremendous Bible. There's so much to teach here, so much to learn here, so much for us to soak up as people, but I have a very quick point of direction to go in. Now, Jesus... When he had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than them, than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, and I think that the word clearly says that so that we don't think the baptizer of a believer is the one making the difference. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that makes a difference. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. I love that statement. He's like half to pass through Samaria. <laughs> sure, it was the shortest route, but most Jews would go around Samaria. But Jesus said, no, I got to go there. I got to go there. I have a very important date. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me drink. Now, a couple things here to point out. Number one, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans because they were half Jew, half Gentile. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews really didn't like Samaritans, which was silly. Silly. There is one race, and that is the human race. God made us all in various sizes and shapes and whatnots. But we're all God's children. And I think one of the points that Jesus is making here and putting this story in the Bible is that. 
and shame on you in the gospel of Jesus Christ if you ever look on anyone as a lesser person than you because of their nationality or color or whatever it is. That's a disgrace to the name of Jesus Christ. That any believer that is racist, I would say, you are teetering on taking the name of the Lord in vain. If you haven't already crossed the line. Anyway, Jesus goes into Samaria and he is talking to a Samaritan, which the Jews are like, what the? And not only is it a Samaritan, but it's a Samaritan woman. And not only is it a Samaritan woman, it's a Samaritan woman who is at the well at noon. It's not when people went to the well. It was the middle of the day. It's very hot, very inconvenient. They would usually go to the well to get water either in the evening or in the morning. And they would go in groups and use it as a social event, like going to the coffee house or whatever. Right? But why is this Samaritan woman going in the middle of the day? Because she felt ostracized. Because she, she wasn't accepted in society. Because she was an outcast. It's crazy how the things in the Bible show you what's really going on when you dig in there. She was a woman that no one else in, 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 in Samaria, none of the ladies, wanted any dealings with her. And Jesus goes to this place on purpose, meets this lady on purpose who's coming to draw water, and he said, hey, give me a drink. And this was not a pickup line. This was not like a date, like he had interest in her. 